Welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm Raul. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm a scientist. Every week we watch a movie or a few movies. Uh, You know, as many as we can in one night. And then we talk about it. It seems to be that we're just uh, like watching more and more as the weeks go on. I was going to propose that we like just put another uh, last week we you did the thing when we watched short circuit mm-hmm. where it was just you wanted to watch short circuit but you didn't want to drop it into like the framework of the film hole uh-huh. but we just did our streaming setup anyways it wasn't scheduled or anything or just like hey we're gonna watch short circuit right you know if you want to join us come join us we should mm-hmm. just do more of that agreed yeah. yeah without the overhead of you know editing a podcast and putting it together and releasing it yeah totally we could do like if more people were to show up to something like that we just like record that and post it like on a private like youtube channel like no editing like just that uh post what the like if we like if we did some sort of like bonus movie like that and we just people still wanted to talk about it and showed up and instead of oh, us got it. going through the whole process of like recording an episode and getting interviews, yeah, we yeah. just like a live episode. Yeah, kind of like when people post uh, like live streams, like yeah. after they happen, just that. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. It would be like super long on a private YouTube channel. Anyways. This podcast is really going in another direction. We're gonna stop being a podcast, and we're just gonna transition into being just two guys watching movies. <laughs> How is it not that already? It's it's ninety nine percent that. Yeah, I feel like most of the podcast is just for me. <laughs> you know, it's just like my self indulgence posted on the internet. I'm getting a lot about it too. I learned how to, you know, open a video editor and cobble videos together. Mm-hmm. Every week, I learned one new Da Vinci thing, and I iterate podcasts on that theme. This week. <laughs> panning text we bring you stories of people who are creating panning text themselves in their own videos or maybe they just have some form of text in their lives we'll hear some stories the first story tonight is uh from our from our uh, producer uh, raul flores here he is uh what do they always sound like i'm starting to hate like radio like uh podcast like this american I, lifestyle podcast now i think you just hate the formula because yeah it's the formula yeah I, I get that. I try to Cold look past open. it now because yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way because I'm like, ah, oh, this just like sounds like every other thing out there now. But it's just yeah, I'm yeah. hating. I'm hating the way things are made, not necessarily the the content. Exactly. But you know what the golden age of audio and radio was? 102.9, the rocker, here to bring you the hot, fresh hot takes. Oh, I was going to do the boy. <laughs> I never understood that. The sound effects. That's like a staple in radio. Kid Craddock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Kid Craddock. Mm-hmm. He died. Oh. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even finish our intro. And this week we watched uh, 1987's Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Coen Brother film? The Coen Brothers. Early Coen Brothers, I think. Yeah. Uh, they made Blood Simple, and then I think this. I can't remember if anything comes in between that. Is that what it was? That's not a movie I've ever seen. 
Blood Simple. Simple. Yeah. I've I saw it like in school like a long time ago. It's kind of the normal like Coen Brothers thing. It's like cowboys and murder, you know. Really? I feel like there's like two versions of Coen Brothers movies. It's like rural hijinks or like north midwestern hijinks. <laughs> you know. I do like um like filmmakers that attach themselves to certain areas I think are kind of cool like uh PTA Paul Thomas Anderson where does he stick around every single movie is like has at least a scene that takes place in the San Fernando Valley of California so LA I was wrong it's a blood simple crime wave and then raising Arizona so this is their crime wave this is their third movie what a name Crime Wave, though, has Sam Raimi on it, which they've collaborated with. If you remember from the pre-show, at least Joel Cohen had a role on Evil Dead. Okay. Yeah. That's that. That's what's his um, title? He's like a technical guy. On Blood Simple or on Evil Dead? Does like camera work? Is that the guy you're referring to? Sam Raimi? Who? What are you talking about? What are you? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. If you're talking about the guy that I'm thinking of is the guy that was like like bragging because he had that he like figured out that camera technique that allows you to like move over objects really quickly and get I don't know shots. Who, I think that maybe Joel had a had a role in that it says Joel used the concept to help him make blood simple. Let's see. If if it's it's definitely the guy that I'm thinking of because Evil Dead has a lot of those shots. Yeah. Like in Raising Arizona when they when the mom finds out the baby is gone and it just it's like a camera moving from outside up scaling up the wall through the window. Huh. Chose Detroit editing assistant work Edna Paul to cut the film. So I guess Joel is like an assistant editor on Evil Dead. Joel Cohen. Cohen had been inspired by movies within the woods and like the idea of producing a prototype film that would build the interest of the use the song. Okay, so it's kind of insignificant, but the the thing to take note of there is that they have a relationship with Sam Raimi and therefore Evil Dead. And the, Sam Raimi's on Crime Wave, or a writer on Crime Wave. So what'd you think of the movie? Uh, you've seen it before, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's been a while. I think that it was like way funnier this time around i think the first time i saw it i wasn't as clued in to the idea of like what or who the coen brothers were like i knew that they were like you know if you're like a like a uh like a cinephile like you're into the coen brothers you know i think that there's like a line in super bad where they're talking about like good directors uh-huh and Jonah Hill is like, well, I'm, I'm fucking sorry that my life isn't directed by the Coen brothers or <laughs> something like that. That's so funny. So I've, al- I've always kind of thought about it that way. It's like the, if, if you're like into film, you're like into the Coen brothers. It's like the easiest one, you know? I never had that impression because so many of their movies are so well liked by like everybody and just like huge joys to watch. Like I feel like some of their stuff they put out are really huge commercial successes. Yeah, I think that they're like kind of that perfect blend of yeah, like auteur. Really sweet spot. We talked about other people like this, I think, but yeah, like auteur, like indie sensibility filmmaker, but also has really great commercial success. Mm-hmm. 
And they do it kind of like unlike um, Greta Gerwig's movie, which, you know, is the other person we talked about in this way where she's like an indie, fil- she's an indie filmmaker who like found commercial success with Lady Bird strictly because of its like award notability. But I think Lady Bird does kind of feel just like a normal Oscar movie, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't detract from it. But I do think like Coen brothers are like all of their movies are pretty consistently like stylized. It's like, there's a very unique way that Coen brothers put a movie together that's unlike anyone else just like tarantino or any other like really distinct auteur right right and like they are able to do that and also be commercially successful and also be like critically acclaimed which yeah is tough to do no like, yeah all of those hats, things at once. hats off to them i i've liked basically every movie i've seen from them yeah i mean it's so. like even if like you don't like dig deep into like what does this mean you know as a <laughs> like you're supposed to do as like a someone who's really into film like they're still super watchable like you can just you can not dive into the metaphors at all and you can be like this is a great movie i'm just having a ton of fun you make it sound like avid film goers need to have existential crises after every film viewing they're like what does this mean i think that's what some filmmakers want the audience to do oh <sighs> How does this make me feel? But yeah, it's, I have I, to go um, marinate on this film and make a podcast about it. Is marinate the right choice of word there? I don't know. Because I just I have I use some it. meat marinating right now. I use it in that context. That's not the visual I want. I have to ruminate on this. I have to meditate. Ruminate. Marinate my... while I while I meditate. Marinara. Let's let's make a new podcast called Marination and Meditation. Oh, wow. Marination. The word nation is in there. I'm thinking like a political talk show. Marination. Ooh, yeah. Marin. Oh, no, no, no. Here we go. Mark Marin fan podcast. Marination. Hit it. I don't like Mark Marin, so I'm out. <laughs> well, there goes that idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I downloaded the No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. from the coen brothers and i'm gonna watch that soon just you know while i'm on this kick i never really watched that movie properly all the way through uh really yeah and so i'm gonna give it its due time i love that movie kevin smith or not kevin smith uh Kev- kevin um uh, mall mall cop kevin kevin james kevin james you know his like series of sound guy oh yeah, yeah. S- i just saw guy, the the where will be blood one i didn't know that that was a series I don't know there's a there will be blood one, but he just made one for for uh, no country for old men. I thought you were the one who sent me the there will be no blood one. What is that one? Oh no, you're right. I have seen one with the milkshake with the milkshake. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, but he he just made one on on the no country for old men. The scene where the infamous scene of the coin flip with the cashier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's so funny. You should we should just watch it like and then. It cut to three minutes later from now but it's uh kevin james is like the sound man and he's like um oh like if you want to run lines on me while the this actor for the cashier guy is out getting a snack or whatever i can fill in for you <laughs> <laughs> it's so good dude since you brought it up i want to talk about the that cashier in that movie which is not what we watched this this week we didn't watch no country we watched raising arizona but i feel like there's this weird thing at least between those two movies 
with like cashiers yeah well i mean i flag that like the cashier from that movie and raising arizona very Uh similar kind of characters yeah they're both held up at gunpoint they're they're like like old timers i think i feel like i feel like they're both referred to as like old timer (laughs) you know that very well could be they're both very like uh uh like kind of pushovers in a way Mm-hmm. Like they're not people that are like there to stand up to yeah, the bad kinda, people that confront them. Kind of like a empathetic, like defenseless old man. Cashier. Yeah. But it's funny because the, the those two movies have completely opposite tones. Yeah. But they sure. have like a very similar character. And it's kind of weird how like even in No Country, I think I said in our uh, post Zoom thing how like a lot of Coen Brothers characters but especially in Raising Arizona are kind of cartoons of normal movie characters. Mm-hmm. And so it's weird how like in one of their more serious movies, No Country, that like cartoon characters still show up. In the form of that cashier person. In the form of the cashier. And you could even say like the villain, you know, is kind of an over the top kind mm-hmm. of like Bond villain-esque guy, but he still doesn't seem out of place in that movie. I'll have to get back to you on that because I have not given it its oh, yeah, you proper haven't, viewing. You haven't seen I it. Thought, I thought it was the guy from Everybody Loves Raven, the brother. So <laughs> I don't really have any floor to stand on here. Oh, my God. And nobody could like nobody could argue otherwise for a while. I was like, no, that's like that's him. I only know that yeah, actor. Everybody Loves Raven. Uh, you're talking about like the big brother with like the really deep voice. Yeah. 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 I only know him from Everybody Loves Raymond and this random, like, late 2000s movie or mid-2000s movie called uh, The Pacifier with um, oh. Vin Diesel. Like, yeah. 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 He's, like a, like, a Navy SEAL or something, and it's, like, a like a family comedy where, like, he has to babysit people as, a, as these kids as a Navy SEAL. That's great. And there's this, like, scene where the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond is, like, the vice principal, and he, like is wrestling Vin Diesel or wants to wrestle Vin Diesel. And he has this, like, to intimidate Vin Diesel, he does this, like, karate thing where he's like, you think you can take me, tough guy? Like, you think you can take me? And he goes, does these, like, really choppy, like, (laughs) you see that? Total control. Was the sound effects, like, did the character make those sound effects, too? yeah. He does this like crazy like breathing thing. That's hilarious. It's the funniest part of that whole movie. It's not a really, it's not a very good movie. Well, I feel like this is a good point to kind of just drop into our what's keeping us happy this week segment since we're kind of on. Oh yeah. We're kind of going off on all these tangents. Yeah. So let's just get it out, get it out of our systems. Good way to keep it consistent. Mm -hmm. This week, good continuity too. Yeah. So what's keeping you grounded? Um. Well. What's keeping me grounded is that I just got, like, my partner's PC built. This has been, like, a three-month project. Mm -hmm. And, like, four motherboards and, like, three CPUs later, I just gave up and bought a slightly newer generation of motherboard and CPU. Were you able to offload the old parts that weren't usable? Uh, Not yet. Okay. I'll try to, like, I don't really sell stuff on eBay, or anything i've never really done that that often mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll see if i can like properly like get them off and just recover some of it i'm headed down that path too, trying to like sell some stuff um, but that's that's great 
but yeah, so I got that going, and um, I got my partner a copy of Far Cry 5, which you and I had also bought a copy of a few weeks past when it was, it was on sale. sale. Mm-hmm. And so I got that installed on. That computer is now a living room computer in the living room. I have a copy on my uh, office PC, and we tested out like the co-op features of that game. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. It's like it's exactly the kind of co-op that we want that I like want in a video game where you can play a campaign. It's not like a separate thing. Like co-op mode is not distinct from single player mode. All right. it is is you're just playing single player and with then another person. Well, well just imagine you're by yourself, you're doing a mission, whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. And then I just drop it and I just appear out of nowhere and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll help you do your mission." Right. So there's, like, no continuity loss. Um, I'm, I'm curious, can you, like, if you are, like, in co-op, since Far Cry is, like, an open-world game, can you just, like, go to, like, opposite ends of the map and, like, do different things? No, unfortunately not. Oh, yeah. okay. There's a cutoff. That's too bad. But it was cool. So we, like, played for, like, 30 minutes to an hour, Stacy and I. We just, like, got in a car and drove around. And then just mm. got into shenanigans. We like chanced upon an underground mine, and we were just like exploring this underground mine, like shooting these zombie people. Mm-hmm. It was great. That's super cool. So now, so I now that, that all three of us have this like up and running, mm-hmm. we can just do like three person. Oh, you uh, can have three people. I think yeah, I think so. Cool. So we could just like host fuck around sessions where we just drive around and shoot yeah and meander around this world that sounds awesome and it's a really beautiful game like the scenery it mm-hmm. takes place in rural uh montana, montana. Mm-hmm. so like big mountain wilderness country mm-hmm. it's just a stunning game to look at yeah i haven't played modern video games like since like i i think i have like a good five six seven year lag on like the most modern video games from today uh-huh so the graphics of this game just like blew my mind yeah it's cool. It's getting more real. Yeah, it's for getting sure. harder to distinguish from real real life. Yep, and so that's what's keeping me happy. I also started playing Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic too. Why the second one? I don't know. I don't know if I have the first one in my library. I was just like uh, mm. going through, and I've had it in my library for the longest time. Never played it, so I just installed it and started mm. playing. Man, quite I've, compelling. I fucking love those games. Those are my like, at least the first. Knights of the Old Republic is like one of my top three games that I've ever played. I love the fact what really gets me hard on uh, <laughs> like fictional universes uh-huh. is when you can go to a time way, way in the past of a fictional universe's time. Uh huh. Like it's one thing. What's another have... example of that? One more example. I can't think of that many because <laughs> it's not often done. But when okay. it is done, I'm like, wow, that gives me so much more satisfaction. It gets one thing to create a coherent uh, sort of fictional universe, you know, for whatever story is taking place, like Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But to then, I think actually Lord of the Rings must have done this, if not in the movies, then maybe in some other content that they put out. There's like a video game, uh, Shadow of Mordor, that takes place before the movies, but it's not uh-huh. like, it's not like thousands of years in the past. Okay. Because I know that like the the world that they built is so um, well constructed that they for sure like built in history mm-hmm. into the Middle Earth. Yeah. 
So that would be an example of that. Cool. So that's what's keeping you grounded is Mm -hmm. PCs, Far Cry 5, and co-op. What's keeping me grounded this week? Um, I guess it's like that my AC got fixed. Really? Like just... It was not working. Just yesterday. Didn't I tell you that? That it wasn't working? I don't think so. Yeah, it wasn't working until like my apartment was like, for the first couple days, like uninhabitable completely. And then I had to go through this whole process of like getting my landlord to have like a portable AC unit here. And then she put in a, a window unit. And then I had a portable AC that I brought. And so it was just kind of this like jerry-rigged like AC'd house for like a week or two. Oh, and, wow. and just yesterday, like the guys came by and put the, uh, put the new AC system in. So the house is back to normal. So like kind of lame, not super, uh, not super nostalgic or cool like yours, but it's just it's that. It's really glad- down there on the hierarchy of needs. Huh? Like, like it's you know, like the hierarchy of needs, whatever pyramid of like oh. where you have to have food and then shelter and then mm-hmm. air conditioning and then video games are way up there somewhere. <laughs> You're like, yeah, just happy to, you know, finally got food this week. Yeah, but I, I think it's nice to ha- it's nice to have an AC house. So that's what's keeping me grounded. There's not really much else to say. That's great. So what do you think about this movie? You, from what I understand, like, you love this movie. Like, you've seen this movie, like, way more than I have. Like, a lot when you were a kid, it sounds I, like. Yeah, I, I I think I owned this on, like, VHS when I was a kid. And then, and so I, I watched it a bunch. I remember so many details of the movie that only after viewing them again did I retrospectively remember that I remembered. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Sure, um, yeah. That's what I was experiencing during Batman. Like the music. And I remember being confused very specifically about some things that didn't make sense to a little kid's brain. Like in the end when he kills the biker by pulling the pins out of the grenades. You were confused by that? I remember thinking, well, I remember that I didn't know what grenades were. I don't know what these Hmm. things were or what these pins that he pulled out of them were. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why he exploded, but <laughs> I was so young at this point, like yeah. think maybe three, four, five, six, uh-huh. uh, that I just had no wherewithal to even scrutinize yeah. that any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's great. So, I mean, I, I had those memories and then I had not seen this movie for, I would say another 15 years. And in that time I had actually forgotten about it and like, couldn't remember like what the name of the movie was or who had made it and then at some point this was like three years ago three four years ago that i chanced upon this movie as an adult and immediately made that connection back to this childhood movie that i had watched Mm -hmm. and so i felt like i had rediscovered uh like an old piece of my childhood yeah that's cool so it sounds like it was more of like uh i think a lot of people watch this movie because they get into the coen brothers like when they're in high school or college, you know, like I don't I, I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of people don't like watch like Coen Brothers movies as like children, you know, it's not like like a movie for kids or like a movie for the whole family, you know, it's like a funny Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, I wonder and, what it was doing in my house. Yeah. So I, I think that you have like a pretty unique experience with this movie. Where, Isn't that a nice like uh, happenstance that I just like happened to watch this really good movie? 
totally like really good directors because so many like things that we're nostalgic about are just like shitty yeah and like <laughs> and like the only thing that keeps them going is their nostalgia but like this is like a legitimately good movie yeah out there there's somebody who's like yeah when i was like a little kid in first grade i would watch casablanca you know every day <laughs> so let's talk about the intro to this movie let's let's talk about the movie yeah this intro i love this intro it's weird that you like you even can call it an intro which is it it's like a mm. how do you define like kind of a prologue of a movie because it's just kind of like music and montage is that the only ingredients you really need it's just like advancing time like really quickly is it a montage you think i'm comfortable calling it a montage sequence yeah i'd call it a montage a 10 minute montage sequence. but montage montages montages montage i montage i and <laughs> it seems like they're often used as a way to kind of drive the plot forward like whereas you would need let's say five minutes to lay out all this stuff in the movie you can if like that. it out with a two minute sequence uh-huh like it seems like a lot of times it's like a shortcut for filmmakers yeah yeah you put it in a nice montage but this is like a very nice deliberate opening sequence to the movie yeah and it's not i feel like um a montage at the top isn't super uncommon in movies but i think that like one being like 10 minutes and it's not even like like you have like 10 minute kind of like cold opens in other movies where it's just like 10 minutes and you see the title of the movie and some something happens before that but this is like a tried and true like stylized montage it's not just like this kind of like half act thing that happens at the beginning it's like a full like advancement of the plot with all of these different things to set the story up right right all driven forward by nicholas cage's narration yeah the events narration and music and so it like sums up a lot like in the uh i don't know the past like few years of these characters lives right right it really sets the tone like quite nicely for the movie it tells you about the characters it tells you about like you get an idea of high's kind of in and out of the prison system you sort of uh mm-hmm. never do well now that's a phrase i've never said before what phrase Ne'er in my life never do well what's that mean uh i think it's like never do well like a do-gooder it's like the opposite of a do-gooder okay a do-batter he's a do-batter <laughs> but it, it's so it's great i mean i just i love this opening sequence so much and the analogy that was made to it by one of the pre-show clips to a like piece of music i think is so apt because the pacing is very steady mm-hmm. uh, you can actually like every piece of dialogue that flows in that montage is like lies on the beat right so i watched this opening sequence like maybe three more times since the movie night mm-hmm. and you can pretty much like on cue say the lines of the person by just kind of like being on beat with the opening sequence yeah and part of that is the music part of that is just the pacing of the cuts mm-hmm. also it's, to say that it flows fantastically it it feels i think it's just because this is based on my own experience i know that like tarantino didn't invent this but it does feel like tarantino-y for that reason just very musically motivated and how mm-hmm. the story and, and the cuts flow it's how, definitely how like i 
I try to cut things, but I'm also in marketing, so I'm like making ads. Sometimes I feel like things that are cut so tightly and neatly like that and like sync up so well with the beat feels very like marketable, you know? Yeah. Almost like a a music video. I think maybe I said that. It is like a music video in so many ways with like the music being just to flag this the the yodeling the main thing of raising arizona is this like fantastic kind of folk yodeling tune that Mm -hmm. i just love i've been playing it like on repeat (laughs) for the past week yeah and then they put in the that beethoven song which song did you notice that uh beethoven's fifth um what part uh, oh yeah 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 yeah. got it it's kind of part of the main song Mm -hmm. i guess i didn't pick up on that or at least i I didn't realize that that was like beethoven but i know that song Mm mm-hmm I think that Which is just a nice rendition. Yeah. I think that the montage really sets up like the tone of the movie well because this movie like you've been touting like the whole time leading up to it is super funny. Maybe the funniest Coen Brothers movie there is. I still hold true to like Lady Killers, which we'll have to do at some point. <laughs> Cuz I love that movie. And all of their movies are pretty funny in their own way. I think, but this one definitely on a second viewing like is definitely a comedy you know it's got like other like other coen brothers like action and adventure things in there but this is like 110 percent like a comedy and also one that kind of has we talked about that weird like 90s hook that has to be or an 80s the hook of a movie and for this one it's like a couple steals a baby you know, uh, what right. are, yeah, what is. a, di- what a dilemma they've gotten themselves into. They steal a baby. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that to say it detracts from this movie. Cause that's usually like a negative connotation, that hook, but they, they, they pull it off. And I also think it's like, like late eighties. So maybe that was before we decided that movies needed a hook that was that much on the nose. So they did it before it was cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm born 94, so I, I have no real world experience of that time what's your uh some of your favorite funny moments from the opening sequence i like the the way that he is introduced to what's her name what's the character's ed ed Uh uh-huh i think the concept of just like the guy who keeps going to prison over and over again that like that's the foundation of like this love story between him and like a mugshot photographer (laughs) <laughs> yeah well a policeman she's like a policeman. she's a police yeah she's a police officer but like she's specifically the one that takes the mug shot every time yeah i think that that's just like a hilarious concept and how it's like, like very it's like a fairy tale yeah kind of like a fairy tale and i like how uh you know he shows up the first time and uh she's like turn to the right she's like a completely like stoic emotionless robot and he's like yeah totally into her so that's funny I love that. and then like uh, later on you know he, the movie like makes it clear that he's in there enough that he has enough exposure to her that he catches her on a bad day right, so like w- right. there's the day that he comes in and like she's super emotional 
So my I just finance left me. <laughs> my finance. Finance. I think that's really funny too, and so subtle. My finance. I love the the backdrop of the where he's getting his picture taken. It Isn't just it just looks, a normal mugshot background? I don't know, but it just looks great to me. Just paired with the way he looks and like he's holding his own little like name plaque card and he's got like a fantastic Hawaiian shirt on. Uh-huh. I love his look th- in this movie, it, I'll say that. That this shot I think like is like one of the kind of iconic shots from the movie, just like the him um getting his photograph taken. Yeah. I, I kind of see what you mean. It seems to be like a little colorful, or at least it's like kind of the perfect amount of flat to complement his Hawaiian yeah, shirt. Yeah, it doesn't look lifelike. I mean, it looks, it really does look like a live cartoon. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, it's pretty colorful. He's very, this movie is very colorful, like in a lot of different oh, ways. Oh, yeah. The, ba- the babies, um, like where the babies sleep, the baby room yeah in the arizona household like Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a real room at all it's like super oversaturated blues and yeah yeah just really intense colors yeah what do you think of the um i love the scene where he's like meeting with his parole committee and they're like um like well you're not just telling us what we want to hear huh (laughs) he's like well i'm just here to tell how does it go it's like we just want to hear the truth. He's like, "Well, I guess I am telling you what we want to hear." <laughs> yeah. Like, Damn it, boy. That's so funny. Yeah, I love that. I think the whole like several shots that they have with like the like the release committee is really funny. Just because it's the same people every time. And it's, it's you know, nothing changes in between shots like of the placement of the room. Mhm. Like everything's exactly the same. Yeah. I th- they might be wearing different clothing, but other th- than that, the concept of just like uh, you know this guy keeps doing this thing over and over again and has to re- have to repeat it or, or repeat the consequences. I feel like some version of that I've seen like in other films, right? Like the whole like here we are again, once again, like in this montage, you know, like I- specifically with crime. Maybe like no, 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 not specifically with crime, but just like that mechanic of like a montage where it's just like oh, oh sure, here sure. we are again. Um, yeah, and I definitely see that in this movie, but I think specifically being tied to like a guy who can't stop robbing convenience stores and keeps getting released inexplicably is really funny. What do you think of the way crime <laughs> is treated in this movie? Oh, it's, it's not real. Funny. Oh, it's not real it's, at all. It's, it's very quaint. Yeah, like prison. It's almost like prison is it's no almost big like deal. the way like right. It's like it, it's like as opposed to be getting of getting in trouble. And getting incarcerated and getting into like real like criminal trouble. Yeah. It's almost like if they were teenagers and they were getting scolded by parents. Yeah. He learns nothing. And that's and, the point, and, but, and that's why it, that's why it makes it funny. But like all of the cops and like everybody on the parole committee, like I feel like in real life they they have like they're probably like really antagonistic towards criminals, I have to imagine. Uh huh. Like, the, in real life, like, people don't like criminals. They, like, demonize them. They'll, you know, whatever it is. Sure, yeah. But in this movie, they, they just, they're so they're, forgiving. They're just like, gosh darn it, hi. What are you doing? We just, we just want you to better yourself, sir. Right. Son, you right. ain't doing yourself no no help. Yeah. What are you doing, son? Come on. Slap on the hand. The line that crystallized this, crystallized this really well is later on when one of the 
uh, the two brothers, um, John Goodman and the other guy, the yeah. the non John Goodman guy. <laughs> they're they're describing their plan to like rob this bank, and they're like, regardless of whether or not we successfully rob the bank or get caught, either way we'll be set for life. Mm-hmm. Like they seem like they almost don't care. Yeah. I like I kind of the motive their motivation for crime seems kind of cartoonish and not realistic. Yeah. I actually kind of like kind of just that. they kind of just do it. Yeah. I just watched like Thelma and Louise last night and so like Oh, yeah. This idea is like kind of on my mind more where it's like people who fully commit to a life of crime are doing just that. Like in a way they're much more free than anyone else just mm-hmm. because they're the arbiter of their own destiny it's like not following any rules at all just like paving their own way and then like if they get caught they're sent to prison and like that's their life for the rest of their life so there's this like weird like dualism like purity about leading a life of crime where it's just Mm -hmm. like we either do it fully our way or we have no freedom at all right but it just seems like there's no stigma against it in this world. I mean, it uh, depends on who you ask out of the characters. I think if you ask Ed, she's not super down with crime. But she, But she marries a criminal. Right. But How it, it, not down with crime my, could you be? <laughs> my point is that it's just like it varies, right? Yeah. It's not, it's definitely not like real world crime. It's definitely not like real world crime, yeah. I think that the whole idea of... It's not considered armed robbery if, like, the gun's not loaded. Like, that can't be real, right? There's no way. That's a real law. Like, if you have a gun and you, like, go into a convenience store and you rob somebody, that's armed robbery, right? I don't know. Like, the the, the way that they explain away why he keeps getting out of prison so often is because he doesn't use live ammo. And so they're like, I guess we got to release you because it's not armed robbery. I'm gonna look it up. And it, to what me, that feels like you the most. rob without loaded. This should probably be an incognito search, but the FBI go. is like knocking on your door right now. Okay, I mean, so the core answer that comes out right at the top says like backs you up. Says that an unloaded gun is armed robbery. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. seems to me that like if the person who's being robbed thinks that they're in danger, yeah, that like that's armed robbery no matter what what's going on that's exactly what it says here mm-hmm. the fact of armed robbery is really based on it sounds like you wrote this trevor <laughs> it sounds like you're the person that wrote this quarter answer the fact of armed robbery is really based on the fact that the victim thinks he's in danger of harm or death as a result of what the suspect says or presents by his actions damn all right guys i'm quitting the podcast i'm going to go be a lawyer not a lawyer this podcast is not supported by an actual lawyer. <laughs> okay, what do you think about the his cellmate, the craw dad guy, the craw? <laughs> I one of my when favorite there was no foul. One of my favorite jokes dad. is is part has to do with that guy, where he's like, uh, "Mama always used to put the craw dads in the boiling water, and then one day I decided I'm gonna make my own craw dad, so I put them in the pot. You see, without any water." And it, which sounds weird by itself, but what's funny is like, 
he has this whole monologue that he's going through and like the next line is like Nick Cage's like narration and he's like yeah it get it got pretty lonely in prison (laughs) (laughs) just showing this This guy guy is like incapable of like being good company yeah that guy had like a JFK yeah I'm looking at I'm looking at it right now he has like a JFK thing on his wall which I think might be like significant just because in another part H.I. talks about Reagan being in the White House. What does he that say? That some bitch, Reagan in the White House. Mm. Uh, at first, he kind of, like, blames Reagan for his situation of his, like, you know, just in and out of prison kind of lifestyle. But then he says that, like, oh, I don't know. I heard that he's, like, a good man. Maybe his advisors are corrupt or something. Reagan? Yeah. Huh. I don't remember that. The thing about this movie that I really find interesting is that the the characters live in such a small world. Like, mm-hmm. if when and if they do try to kind of reach out to the larger culture at large, you know, like America, the president, yeah, they they miss so sorely. They're like, oh, Reagan, maybe his advisors are corrupt. Like that's such like a not very intelligent way to think about it. Mm-hmm. like first of all like blaming his life a crime on the person that happens to be in the white house mm-hmm. and then making appeal to his character and therefore kind of pivoting your blame to advisors is just kind of like a very not realistic way not not a very realistic picture of how anything works really no i mean these people just live in like this bubble of this rural arizona area do you think that that's like a representation of like what real like rural America is like living in a bubble or is it like this weird Coen brothers cartoon universe that is the reason for that? It may or may not be like realistic, but I, I think it like what it does to the movie, it just it makes this movie seem detached from reality in some way mm-hmm. that I think makes it kind of seem like a, like a folk story or like, it's honestly a pretty surreal movie yeah and it's just some of these when they try to kind of make contact with reality like the contemporary president at the time it's done in a way that's kind of so removed from reality and childlike yeah that it kind of just emphasizes how in their world they are it's like mythology yeah contrast that with like today like any regular person on the street can like give you is is like thinking about uh like nationwide politics all the time but these people their world is so much smaller Mm-hmm. agreed and it's not like like we said it's not representative of reality like it it feels very much to me like i'm, I'm gonna keep bringing up this like cartoon uh idea of this movie being an analog to a cartoon because all the characters are very cartoonish, but it's also like I think about like Looney Tunes, because like in the Roadrunner, you know, it takes place in uh, either the Arizona or the New Mexican desert, and like those like little vignette cartoons feel very contained in their world, right? It's just like that right. area. It's just like kind of like SpongeBob and like uh, Bikini Bottom. It's just this zone of this animated thing that is pretty isolated from anything outside of it. And somehow right, this, right. this movie achieves that with a live action cast. It achieves it. Exactly. Yeah. 
the the society that they live in is almost like non-existent mm-hmm. like the place where ed and high live is like rural like it's not even rural it's just in the middle of nowhere yeah like nothing to be seen no consequence at the end of the movie like when high gets his like final uh kind of monologue and he's reaching like really far into the future with his life with ed the last thing the movie is actually the last line of the movie he's like oh a mysterious land maybe not too far away maybe it's utah (laughs) like Uh this is this is the the final montage of the movie where he is like dreaming or like having premonitions decades and decades in the future Uh the end of his life as an old man and even those aspirations only go as far as kind of like utah utah like right. the region that they live in uh-huh. yeah i don't th- there's something about that that just like th- this this subject that we're talking about is something that i really like about this movie just kind of just it's like the, localism and it, it makes the world seem so small in a way and uncomplicated yeah uncomplicated is a good way of putting it where yeah, I, I agree that's that's a good way of putting it uh-huh and i think that's what like rural folk long for really it's almost this like fantasy reality right uh-huh. where life is simple and the world is small and right. there's I mean, not just the there's whole... not many rules and everybody's generally nice and then the whole setup of like his ideal life is like the classic like american dream uh like get a wife start a family that's your life mm-hmm. right it's it's this very small whereas like more contemporary aspirations of having a career necessarily mean that you'll be like kind of extended farther out than you would be with this kind of life i don't know i don't know what i'm saying well i kind of get this idea of you know the traveling millennial where it's like i want to see the world before i die you know i want to like go all these places and do all these things and meet all these people and it's not that like these it's not like that that's better than what these characters want to do with their life you know and it's not that like well i should say like the idea of like traveling the world and like doing everything in the context of this movie just seems irrelevant it seems like everything that you can and should do like within the course of your life takes place in this uh arizonian desert yeah yeah you know exactly there's not no character is like concerned with like the outside world I think that's true. I'm trying to think right now through every single character. Everybody we see is, like, local. Nobody is, like, well-traveled or anything like that. Yeah. And maybe that's just, like, a, a side effect of it being, like, kind of a simple comedy movie in the desert. But it has this pretty cool, like, fantasy effect. Yeah. Another thing, just, like, to, to wrap that up is that we, we ourselves, like, grew up in an area of the country that is, like, as remote as as the southwest united states yeah midwest united states but the thing that i feel like doesn't really track between this movie and and this time period or where and when we grew up is technology had an advance to the point that you could be somebody growing up in the middle of nowhere anywhere and still have like access to culture on a global scale Uh uh-huh and yeah, so it just seems like this late 80s is kind of like the last decade or maybe the second to the last decade where you could exist in a very localized area True. and kind of have that 
be your world. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I, I view this all from very kind of like nostalgic or or longing eyes where I just like very much romanticize that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. It's kind of this like cultural off the gridness that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I get that. I don't think that you and I experienced that either. Just because like the internet was already a thing. Right. By the right. time we were already online. watching videos on YouTube, viral videos that were that everybody else was also watching mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. And uh cultural phenomenon. I'm looking at you, crazy frog. What's he say? Uh Bing Bing Dum 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 <laughs> What's the main song? Bing Bing Boom. It's like uh, uh it's like a it's like a remix of um the beverly hills cop theme and i think it's called like oh really yeah it's called like axel or something because that's eddie murphy's character's name in beverly hills cop and that's the theme and then crazy frog did like a cover of it and that's what like our generation like latched on to that's so funny this is uh yeah i think this is like more like off topic for the than the than the pod necessitates but like it's so weird that like i feel like there's a real distinction between our generation and then like maybe people from my area that were five to ten years older than us gen xers gen xers that like Mm -hmm. never grew up like i look at them and they just seem so rustic (laughs) right what do you mean give me give me some examples here like like when i was in spearville like you know my cousins went there also Uh and they were all five to ten years older than me and the activities that they did were so different than the ones that i did like okay from what i understand of their lifestyle it was so much like a early 2000s like high school party movie where they were just like partying all the time Uh uh-huh maybe that's just a difference of like personality types you know between you and your cousins it could be, but it was also just, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed different. I kind of know what you mean. Like, I have that much distance between my older siblings. Like, they're about that much older than me. Um, mm-hmm. And they do feel like they have a very different, like, life or experience than I did. But I also understand that, like, they, like, went to Dodge City for high school. And big city. Big city relative to me. And, you know, they were in, like, community college when I was, like, 10 or like nine so yeah i don't know it's it's tough to tell it's just that the social structure before social media was so different than after yeah i kind of do know what you're saying there where it's think about like who the cool people were you know and they just weren't posting on facebook they i don't know it just seemed different yeah the internet changed the way that we function as communities for sure yeah and we were kind of the first wave of that because we grew up or I guess like uh, those people that we're talking about are the first people who engage with that. But we are the ones who like grew up with it. Yeah. You think about like MySpace, like MySpace came out while those people were in like late in their high school career or like in their college career. So like yeah. they adopted social media in college and then like we grew up with it. And there was, like, a couple of years delay between, like, I feel like, as is typical, people on the coasts adopt cultural trends quicker than in the 
rest of the country. Yeah, totally. So I, f- I feel I feel like we were two or three years behind on like everybody getting on Facebook. Yeah, totally. Because I remember my, me getting a Facebook was kind of a novel thing. Yeah. When I got one, which was like, how like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Uh-huh. Which was all to say, like back to the movie. The one thing that I think really serves in this movie's favor, and which can't be deliberate on the filmmaker's part is just the time period that it takes place in. Like, I don't know if they would have been able to tell that the world would change so much over the next 30 years. What? Like, I feel, does it not take place in the eighties? I think it takes place in the, in the right time. Yeah. Okay. But that world is now so different from ours that it is now, this movie is almost like a period piece to me. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It, it feels like a period piece. And I, and I wonder what it felt like watching this movie when it came out. It must have just felt like totally normal. Everything they showed on screen probably made sense. Like how bad the TVs looked. Uh-huh. Remember the TV commercial for the for, for Nathan Arizona's business? Yeah. It's just this crazy blue saturated thing. I'm Nathan Arizona. My name ain't Nathan Arizona. What a His ridiculous name isn't thing. Nathan Arizona. Huh? His name isn't Nathan Arizona. No, it's not. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, if my name ain't Nathan Arizona. I love that his character's like catchphrase is like, but. But? Yeah, he uses the word but a lot. Like, I'm going to kick some butt. Like, one of his first lines, like, when you see him in his house, he's, like, arguing with somebody, like, assumingly from his, like, car dealership. Uh-huh. And he's like, if you don't lower those prices, I'm going to come down there tomorrow, and I'm going to kick me some butt. And it's just, oh. it's so, like, I've never heard, like, the word but, like, sound so eloquent coming out of anyone That's else. That's funny. Do you remember when Smalls, like, said, I'm going to kick some butt uh-huh. after he tried to extort yeah. Mr. Arizona? Mm-hmm. It seemed so out of place at the time, like, this tough guy saying kick butt. But one, Like, one more, like, uh, piece of evidence to tie it to a cartoon, I think, is, like, kind of this silly, like, kid language that some of these characters use yeah you know yeah i'm gonna kick some butt i'll get the menstrual cramps real hard (laughs) (laughs) i love that one what do you think about that uh that like therapist guy uh the therapist i think he was like yeah i think he was like supposed to represent like some kind of like east coast like intellectual type person Uh uh-huh i guess so Um, he was wearing a necklace of pie of the symbol pi. Okay. Which is a weird necklace to have. Huh. He was kind of forgettable to me. I just yeah. I just remember the menstrual crap cramps line and that like that being super funny, but I didn't read uh, into it other than that. They brought him back. The only time they bring him back is like when John Goodman they're saying that like the therapist told them that the reason they're the way they are is cuz their mothers didn't breastfeed them. Yeah. So this guy is like, which is crazy, right? Like Well, he- yeah everybody's supposed to think that's a crazy thing to say uh-huh i'm pretty sure right so this this guy's just supposed to serve like a really ineffectual government it like the person that's supposed to be trying to yeah. rehabilitate them it does like kind of poke fun at like this these new age like theories of like psychology which uh-huh. is that's like an exaggeration like we're bad because our mother didn't breastfeed us but it, that's along the same lines of this like kind of like neo psychology thing that was probably right. taking hold around that time 
and it's interesting even like nowadays we talk about like uh overhauling like the incarceration system and mm-hmm. <clears throat> focusing more on rehabilitation totally as opposed to just like punishment there's a great line by uh by high in this movie where he's like well I'm like well i don't know where you land on the whole incarceration question whether it's for uh, rehabilitation or revenge but i'm starting to think that revenge is the only thing that makes any sense i thought that was just a, like a great line mm-hmm. uh, but it's funny in this movie that the, the before we get like too into the weeds on this i just wanted to bring up this joke since we talked about the therapist joke Ooh. um it's not a therapist joke but it's like uh it's the scene where right after nathan arizona learns that his son's been kidnapped and uh he's talking to all the reporters outside and one of the reporters is like, what do you think about the claims that your son was abducted by UFOs? <laughs> and like Nathan Arizona's response to that is like, oh, son, don't print that. If his mother reads that, she's just going to lose all hope. I thought that was funny. He wasn't like, don't print that because that's dumb as fuck. Right. Just like. He's like, don't print that. Because my, my wife is wife crazy and will believe anything. <laughs> Not so funny. Uh-huh. Anyways. What were we just talking about? You, like, the revenge, the uh, incarceration revenge thing. Mm-hmm. Sort of a, a kind of liberal idea for what incarceration should be is more of a rehabilitatory kind of institution mm-hmm. than just, like, a one that's focused on dishing out punishment. But in this, in this movie, it seems like it is rehabilitation taken to the extreme, right? They're not hard on the criminals at all. Uh-huh. They have that therapist person. They're trying to get them to like open up and like get in touch with feelings or whatever they need to do to get to the bottom of why there are criminals. But in the world of this movie, like none of that works. Like none of that makes any sense. It's like a lost cause to even attempt to do that. Right. Because at the end of the day, these people are just criminals. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's just who they are. And then like John Goodman and his brother is just like, oh, well, you know, what work as well keeps us happy. Uh huh. Which yeah. I think really exemplifies that. Well, it's like because, like, a cartoon thing again. It's like all the characters are very simple. Like none right. of them have complex motivations about anything, and so therefore, why would any of them change? Right, right. You have in your notes like the uh, Woody Woodpecker. You have it as Roadrunner, but it's Woody Woodpecker, the cartoon character on his the tattoo. Oh, that's right. What do you make of that? I don't know. Like in light of the whole movie, like the fact that the. Uh, uh, that the biker man also has it. Mm-hmm. I don't know who was it. Who was it that said Savannah in our Savannah said that th- she thinks that that means that they were both babies that were given up and sold to the black market. Mm-hmm. And I give that a lot of credence. I think that sounds like the perfect answer. Yeah, because because High said his parents were dead, mm-hmm. which is could be something that you would say if you were um, like an orphan child. And somebody asks you, like, where are your parents? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, they died. Mm-hmm. Right? You would totally say that. I think that's dead on. So props to Savannah. Yeah. I th- I think that's a super solid assessment of that. And it was it kind of blew and, my mind when she said that. I'm like, oh And everything God. fits, yeah. too. And it's a very faded tattoo mm-hmm. that he has. And he's not a old guy by any means. He's a fairly young character. Mm-hmm. So a tattoo that he's had since he was a child could be yeah really younger yeah i think that like if you could look at it uh, several ways because one of the weird things about the biker or smalls 
character is he has those um like baby shoes that are like attached to his like biker outfit did that come up at any other point other than the end what was the when end he's get, when he gets blown up into pieces uh-huh the, the the shot that transitions into the next scene of them returning the baby is just a zoom up on the shoes mm-hmm. on those little baby shoes they're like chromed or something oh okay did that come up earlier when we see smalls i mean you, when you first see smalls you see like there's a close-up shot of like the the baby shoes got it like hanging it. from his bike or whatever but i think you could take that two ways and based on what savannah said it like gave light to the new way the first time I saw it, I was just like, oh, this guy's like a baby hunter, you know, like a totally like awful character that just like hunts babies. And so that's why uh-huh. he has these as like a trophy or something, which is a much more sadistic like thing about this character than what the tone of the movie really is, where nobody's killing babies in this movie, you know. <laughs> but what it, it could be is like if he was, in fact, like an orphaned, abandoned child like maybe those were just like his shoes, you know. Like he keeps he, could be. he keeps them as like a momentum, a memento of like his past as an orphan. Yeah, I I didn't get the impression that he like does a lot of baby stuff now in his adult life. Uh, when he introduces himself to Mister Arizona, he says like I'm a manhunter, but I can also do babies. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought was meant to just like. That only applied to this very specific scenario that he was in, not something that had had any precedence to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that could be his... I don't think he's a baby hunter, but he has baby shoes for a reason. He's also... Let's talk some more about Smalls, since we're on the topic. He. Oh, my God, dude. This is, like, one of the greatest villains I have ever seen. Costume design, everything. I love, like, I think we called it prose the end of our screening like the monologue that nick cage has to introduce him it's like this uh-huh. vision of him in a dream right he's like i don't know if it was a dream or a vision it's like he was awful he he had like hell at his back or something you know just like this very uh well-worded soliloquy about like the mythos of this character which has no he's like a horseman of the apocalypse is like the first thing that came yeah yeah yeah. so it's like this whole mythos is like built around this character just within this like one little narration which has no bearing on the story at all you know it's strictly like an artistic way of setting up this character that fits the tone of like all these characters being more cartoonish and mythological this character in particular is like somebody is like definitely larger than life or like outside of reality like this character is like sort of the most like you could almost believe that he is a demon or yeah something otherworldly yeah totally i i love it when they when high encounters them for the first time at the end like the final showdown they never meet before that mm-hmm. but they're they're going down the highway in the same direction in opposite directions and the ed exclaims about him and he's like oh you see him too uh-huh like he just thought that it was like a figment of his dreams or imagination right which definitely like sets up that this is like a supernatural world if like high can be having these yeah premonitions for sure and it's even like at simple face value you see like the part where he comes through that like a wall of fire 
Like that's the way Smalls oh, yeah. is introduced. He like comes through this wall fire and his like bike inexplicably like leaves flames behind it. Yeah. Which is a funny like parallel to a movie that Nick Cage would later star in called <laughs> Ghost Rider. <laughs> National Treasure, Return of the Constitution. Return of the you Constitution. I like the <laughs> I like the idea of all of the National Treasure movies being like conventions based naming conventions based on like u.s documents governmental documents yeah yeah u.s history uh let's see national treasure the emancipation proclamation strikes back (laughs) (laughs) all right let's go let's go national treasure concord and four ward i got this revenge of the gettysburg address that's civil war dude you can't go that far up i can't we're talking seminal u.s uh founding fathers right now okay that's out of line that's out of line okay sorry emancipation was civil war i said that already you did yeah oh sorry (laughs) well two wrongs don't make a right national treasure legend of the liberty bell legend of the liberty bell that one's that one was too like easy I'm really scraping at the bottom of the barrel. Lost, <laughs> lost city of Pennsylvania. Ooh. <laughs> just, it's just like a normal city in the U.S. <laughs> lost city of Pennsylvania. I love that. They're like, well, have you ever been to Pennsylvania? It's like, well, no, but I know it's there. But you admit to your own volition <laughs> that you have never been there. Uh-huh. So, so how could you know? So does it really exist? That's like the way that like uh, some conspiracy theorists like and anti-maskers think right now they're just like i've never seen anybody with coronavirus so does it really exist is the same logic that you would use to be like i've never been to pennsylvania so does it really exist i love the the thing i love about conspiracy theories is that they're very local kind of you know back to our conversation about like just like very local thinking it's very local thinking that leads to conspiracy theories it's like the world around me and everything else like Mm -hmm. might as well not exist like the idea of traveling the world Uh uh-huh there is no world what are you talking about which is like a more extreme version of just like the brain and the vat like thought experiment right maybe not more extreme maybe it's like a dumber version of that it's just like a like two notches below like i could be a brain in a vat and like nothing maybe maybe nothing exists to where like yeah the people two notches below just believe that like oh i'm just a person who lives in kansas and like nothing outside of kansas exists you know what'd be fun like this is like very getting into like very philosophical areas and i just saw the watchman series recently which you still need to watch Mm -hmm. but like the whole idea there is that like it's like these these white supremacist kind of like Ku Klux Klan-esque rebellion groups that are like battling the United States. Like usually we're used to thinking of the underdog in movies as being the good guys. Mm-hmm. And, and But in this, in Watchmen, it's like the white supremacists are the ones that are like fighting the power and like the police are fighting them. Okay. Anyways, so back to this. What if like all of these like conspiracy theories are actually like high level like academic like philosophers that are just like well in what sense can we in what sense can coronavirus exist (laughs) if the world is just an illusion 
And why would I mask myself if my own self-identity in the Cartesian sense, mind you? It's just like, well, I guess I can't really argue with you. Like, what <laughs> if they come back and they're like, they hit you really hard with like really good philosophy? Yeah. Like, you, you wouldn't know what to do. Right. Sort of uh, outside of like physical existence philosophy, where it's like, I guess you're, I mean, based on what I can understand, you're right. It'd, it'd be funny if it like that was just like the like the last resort argument of like any like bigoted way of thinking where it's just like but you can't like you can't hate people for the color of their skin where it's just like well it's just like none of us may exist so does it matter and you're like well (laughs) you're right maybe none of us do exist (laughs) what part of descartes fucking sad do you not understand that's pretty funny i did I love the idea of like like this group. Like, what if they come out and like they were, like the smartest people, and they, like they really thought it through, mm-hmm. and then we're like, oh well, shit. Well, I guess I didn't think about it as much <laughs> as you did. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess there really is no reason to mask yourself if your own self identity is mm. constructed through the Cartesian soul as opposed to any kind of. It'd be funny if they like. I think about this as like kind of this, like timeline of thinking like the timeline of like how your thinking develops and this is probably like an inaccurate way to think about it but it's like you know localized like kind of the localized way of thinking about things where it's just like i'm just me and i live in this house it's kind of like when you're a kid right and like nothing outside of your immediate world may as well exist right it's like the same thing it's the phenomenon where you think your teacher like lives at the school you know, um, yeah. so seeing your teacher outdoors right. is crazy. So when you get older, you realize like, oh, there are things that happen outside of like my own local experience. And then like you could come into, you know, like what a lot of like conservatives think where it's just like they uh, don't have the ability to empathize with people of other walks of life. And so they become judgmental of those other people and like have a misunderstanding of the way that the world works and if you can if you live through that like i did you can kind of graduate from that and realize like oh there are other people that have different experiences that i should try to empathize with and try to learn about and you become a more complex person as a result and then like the final finish line is actually like this idea of like questioning the nature of existence at all you know (laughs) you just like you get so far advanced into questioning your own reality you're like oh well, just i nothing could exist at all actually and so now i'm a nihilist it's funny <laughs> i love this what what if this happened this would be a fantastic like fictional universe where this like progression let's say one-fifth of the people in the earth go through this progression to its full extent and at the very end like they're like well i have no option but to simply sit here in meditation for the rest of my life right <laughs> they're like well this this world is arbitrary there's i only the only thing i can trust is what's inside of my own mind so i'm just gonna go with <laughs> and like a fifth of the people uh-huh. talk to me about this bullet point that you have that says you took a closer look at the adoption papers and shows that high is a diabetic oh yeah that, that was in there hmm. believe what do you make it up i don't know but they really did a good job of like filling out those papers in a way that seemed realistic that's funny, though, because, like, 
you never see him with like insulin or like trying to no, monitor no. his diet or anything. It almost seems like counter to his character, which would be very free spirited. Drinking beer all the time. Yeah. Oh my god, some of the lines in this movie. Holly Hunters, we got a child, everything's changed. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird the way she says it. And her face contorts unbelievably. It seems like a it's man, I just keep saying it. It's like a cartoon. It's just it's no like one talks or the acts brother like that. Is just like, do it again, but really hit that change. Everything's line. changed. Everything changed. Mm-hmm. What I love about this movie is that I don't think Nick Cage is like at home more in any other movie. Right. Like this movie is like built around how wacky he is as a as an actor and a person. He was so young. I think this is probably the youngest I've seen him. Same, yeah. What else do you know him from earlier than this? 87? Yeah, just like, I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High had to have come before this, and that's it. Mm. And he, his, like I said in the, the Zoom thing, his role is like essentially an extra in that movie. Right. He has no lines. He's wow. just like a fry cook, like a cutaway shot of a fry cook. Wow, so really a great introduction to just the character that is Nicolas Cage. It's <laughs> it'd be funny if like this movie is like the reason that Nick Cage is the way Nick Cage is. He's like, "Okay, this is like I mean, this is how all movies are. They're just these wacky like cartoonish versions of real life." And like his first experience with a major role is like what gave birth to the Nick Cage persona. Makes me think of we we talked about like last time about like Jim Carrey and like Adam Sandler. Mhm. Like comedians that have very, maybe less Adam Sandler, but a, a very iconic kind of ways of acting on screen, and people didn't like it at the time that much. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you're an up and coming comedian actor, and you hit gold once with like a movie or a role mm-hmm. that you got because you acted a certain way, maybe for the next one where you're like i gotta have, i have to be the same person because that's like the part of me that sells you can imagine how this could be kind of locked in early on yeah i think it has to do with like the public's like perception of like comedy and acting and how that changes you know where it's yeah. like jim carrey and adam sandler have this like kind of goofy guy thing that they rely heavily on where it's like a this guy's just acting silly. Like, he has, like, silly voices, and he, like, does silly things with his body, but the jokes aren't intelligent. And so that will, like, run out of gas really quickly. Yeah, definitely. What do you think about the character's motivations, where it's, like, you have this uh, lifelong criminal and this officer of the law, and they're infertile, which is really sad, but, like, their solution to that is to, like, steal a baby. I mean, it's it's nothing but cartoonish, right? I mean, this is not anything a real person would think of. I mean, some people would think, think of it, but, like, they would be treated as not, like, the sympathetic main characters in any other ma- movie, right? They would be seen as crazy, like, psychotic. Right, right. But here it's just Absolutely. this, like, oh, man, what a <laughs> what a predicament, predicament they're in now. They decided to steal this baby. It doesn't really pass scrutiny, right? Like, you kind of have to, like, take that with, like, a, a, the movie is very absurd in a way. And I think that just goes into it. Uh-huh. I can't, like, 
analyze the the motivations of the characters any more than what is just presented to me that she is somebody that is not just baby crazy but baby baby insane insane. (laughs) i love that maybe she's baby insane as soon as you said she's not baby crazy i knew what you were gonna say (laughs) baby baby lunatic she's baby insane and it kind of like the 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 friend that came over with that guy that kept making fun of oh yeah the chick who's in every other colin brothers movie she's the one from fargo right she's in fargo she's in burn after reading um (gasps) that is her oh my god i just made that connection she's so much older in that movie i'm sorry Mm -hmm. she's so sorry (laughs) wow another great movie that is a great movie. I love her character. She's just like all about like getting the breast. Right. It's like the is is the funniest motivation. Talking about motivations, mm-hmm. that's like the funniest premise. I have to get these surgeries to improve myself. And and I feel like the whole movie was just like a setup for like the final joke of like the really serious CIA guy, um, <laughs> that guy, uh-huh. and her with their final showdown. It's like, well, I'll forget all of this happened. Uh huh. If you get some surgeries for right. me. <laughs> or it wasn't even a direct confrontation. It was like one of his lackeys telling him of her. Demands. Isn't like the final scene. It's just like them like in a, a, a room, like meeting about the events of the movie. Isn't it right. like J.K. Simmons? Isn't J.K. Simmons? J.K. Is Simmons. one of the guys. And he just yeah. like is dis- all this... he's being described the events of the movie to him. And he's just like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. <laughs> right such a good movie I, i'll be honest the the part in that movie spoiler alert where uh brad pitt gets shot like in the in the closet is the movie is overall like pretty funny but like that's like one of the most like haunting like getting shot scenes i've ever seen you know what i mean i had this movie on uh on dvd or maybe blu-ray when it came out not important but it was blu-ray okay this is a blu-ray family <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i remember that scene yeah like i went back to it and like i went frame yeah, by frame i've done the same why do you think that it's so i think haunting? i think it's because of like george clooney's like extremely like real reaction where he's like mm. holy shit like there's someone in my closet my like muscle jerk reaction is to shoot them in the face and then like dealing with like the aftermath of like the confusion of that is so like stressful and overwhelming and he seems to portray that perfectly on screen yeah he did do so you feel like oh my god like this is like a terrifying situation for george clooney's character like you feel that it makes it's very realistic Mm -hmm. it's funny there's like two types of movies there's movies that minimize violence to the extent that you can see you know any amount of violence on the screen and it won't affect Mm -hmm. you but there's some movies where the violence really hits home Mm -hmm. there are movies that there isn't a lot of violence in there to begin with right they can't be movies where people are dying from beginning to Mm -hmm. end you know thing just a normal well i think that like this uh this is a great segue to get back into like our actual movie of the day which is like the coen brothers can do this like cool thing where they can straddle like those lines like effortlessly because burn after reading is a funny movie that's a funny fucking movie and like one of the most realistic like traumatic showings of violence on screen that i've ever seen is also in that movie and so they can do this raising arizona super like cartoony movie 
and then they can swing to like no country and burn after reading and none of it feels dissimilar none of it feels like off-brand coen brothers no i mean their versatility is yeah definitely commendable it's amazing honestly because i mean like name uh i don't know i'm setting myself up for failure here but i was gonna say like name another director who can like effortlessly like pivot on tone like that and it still feel like the same thing like the same dose of medicine of a particular type of movie like tarantino is someone we talk about a lot can't do that but the tones don't really change too much do they i would between their movies and tarantino movies that's what i'm saying is like they don't like tarantino can't do that you can't do the same thing right right like you can definitely like you could pick two movies from the coen brothers uh filmography Mm -hmm. and like show them to somebody and be like do you think these are made by the same person and there's like a 50 50 chance like they just they just won't be able to Uh uh-huh maybe maybe a good example is george miller (laughs) who's made uh made the mad max movies um but he also made uh happy feet which is the the animated movie about dancing penguins uh, well i don't know what to think about those because like i see stuff like that on some directors filmographies and i feel like that's just, it's just them, a cast grab uh going into to working director role. yeah out of the auteur mode and into working yeah director yeah i think that's what that is it's just funny yeah right I didn't know George Miller made Happy yeah. Feet. That's yeah. I have I made uh, this drawing for Justin a while back because uh, one of the things I used to do when I worked at an office is I would make drawings for Justin and Andy, like during meetings and stuff. I just like draw like these really like crude drawings and just give like give them to people after a meeting was over. <laughs> one of which was. Uh, George Miller uh, sitting next to a an emp- an emperor penguin and the emperor penguin had like a gun to George Miller's head and the speech bubble said like make a happy feet three <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so you've thought about this so you've been in this territory yeah, before sure vis-a-vis George Miller happy feet sure yeah but it, it this is all to say that like i really admire their ability to do that and like it doesn't feel strange or like they're selling out or anything it's all under the umbrella of the coen brothers it's not like oh this is like a funny coen brothers movie and so therefore it's like them being a working director mode it's no it's all coen brothers it's all it's none of that yeah 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 exactly there must be like a real like I bet the Coen brothers like look at directors that will take like commercial roles and they're just like nodding their heads at them. Mm-hmm. They're like you're tarnishing your filmography. I get the sense that they don't think about film in the way that most people in the industry do. I think that they just make the things that they like. Like it's just this very like pure innocent reflection of like what they've come to love about filmmaking and it's totally uninfluenced by the system and that's why they're so unique and and lovable i don't know very much about them i have to admit that i've never really heard them talk or listen to many interviews Mm. but i believe that they seem like pretty down to earth and honestly like kind of uninterested in like 
all the bullshit that comes with being a filmmaker. They're just like geeks that like making movies. You should watch the the Western movie they put on Netflix because I think that's like a microcosm of their whole filmography. I don't even know what that in is. In the way that they can... Oh, uh, you know, the Buster Scruggs Oh, Buster Scruggs. That, that had a theatrical release. It did? Yeah. Oh. Definitely. But anyway, you should watch that because like that... It's a bunch of short films wrapped into one. Yeah. But that kind of like tone shift that we've been talking about is like totally like done within the movie and and they hit comedic and they hit very dramatic within buster scroogs it's a microcosm of their entire approach i think cool you've sold me what's your favorite joke in this movie i'm not gonna answer that (laughs) but i will list off a series of like really funny things okay in the movie so in the opening montage there's like a really beautiful line when uh high is explaining uh that they're now married and sort of the next thing is children and so he's kind of like going over that about how like uh well ed says like there's you know she figures there's too much beauty in this world for just the both of us uh-huh. and it's like it's a very pretty and like emotional line uh-huh. um, but it, in that scene they're like on the lawn chairs watching the sunset mm-hmm. real iconic image from the movie you see this one a lot yeah but the sun sets and then there's like a pause and then ed is just like that was beautiful <laughs> <laughs> yeah very good comedic timing that was beautiful to to kind of expand in a really unnecessary way on that scene he has a line where he's like for every day that we didn't like bring a child into the world is like a day that like the child might regret missing you know Uh, so it's like the idea is we gotta have kids right now but it's like i thought way too much about that line when i heard it for the first time i was like well regardless of when you have the kid like doesn't change like how long they will live right right it doesn't really matter to them at all (laughs) it's like this relative like it's it's a very metaphysical kind of like there is no child to speak of that would want to be born at the time no and therefore and, you can't make that claim and its perception of time is completely relative relative to itself and so like right you have no influence over that at all so at the time that you know he said that the only people that wanted the child to be there you know the, the people that like would miss him not being there are the parents they're like projecting all of their desires on this kid mm-hmm. i think that's kind of the way it's supposed to play off right like they're kind of it, it seems like their child ambitions seem kind of like naive. Oh, totally. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> Completely. It's pretty like, um, you know, it's, it's empathetic in a way as well. You know, just seeing this, this uh, Holly Hunter character is like, you really feel for her. Like you want her, she, you can see how much she wants it mm-hmm. and you want her to have it. And you're like really crushed when she doesn't. Right. But the fact that she's fixated on it so much, I'm not really sure how to think about yeah i think that it paints that picture pretty clear up front that these people like have no idea what they're doing yeah and i don't know maybe that's part of the lesson if there is one it's just like i think i've i've heard it told to me that you're never ready to have kids people are always like you know i'll I'll have kids like you know after i do all these things and and we're ready to have kids but like the sheer nature of what it means to be a parent is 
completely novel. It's something that you can't plan for cognitively. Yeah. So also people have it like in high school, so like I'm pretty sure I can figure it out. Back to our Ladybird discussion, like the mother was like, Oh, I doubt you'll be able to find a job to <laughs> pay off how much you cost to me. I'm like, Well, you're like not doing great financially, so I'm sure she will be able to pay you back mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Give me some more. Give me some more funny stuff. We're set to pop here, honey. Set to pop. Here. <laughs> I love that phrase. We're set to pop here. Set to pop here, honey. It's totally. That's a great scene. That was like the scene that transitioned the, the tone of the opening scene to like darkness. Like then after that scene, they introduced the, the two escape convicts, mm-hmm. and then sort of the bad stuff starts happening. Oh my god, dude! The way that John Goodman and the other guy are introduced are it's so fucking funny just (laughs) (laughs) that was something i was really confused about as a child you didn't i bet you didn't understand that they were escaping from prison right no no i did not because like they come out of the ground and it's just like (laughs) the prison is like in the background kind of but if you didn't understand that it's just like these guys are like emerging from the earth it it's it really it doesn't seem like like you said it in the the zoom thing it doesn't seem like these guys are coming out of like a tunnel that was like dug no. to escape from prison it seems like they are like emerging like from the earth like some sort of dormant creature and like i remember thinking like is it possible for people to just burrow through earth like no digging just like like a worm dive in dive in like it's a like yeah <laughs> and just kind of move around like uh-huh. maybe if it's raining you can but i i remember being very confused about that mm-hmm. i love the screaming though it's just this great yelling this flat like waveform of like really solid john goodman yelling for a few minutes what do you think of those characters overall i think they're hilarious i think they are like a huge comedic bullet point of this movie where it's just like obviously uh high and ed you know they're funny characters but they're also the main characters that have got serious stuff going on but these guys are just like the dim-witted like side like sideline characters that are there to just make us laugh and they I they do that to the great relationship effect. they do i love the relationship between high the two convicts and the the wife with the convex and high because high's like expressions during these scenes are so pained like where his wife is absolutely opposed to these men staying here mm-hmm. uh, like rightfully so right doesn't make any sense that they should be allowed to stay they're convicts mm-hmm. but high is kind of trying to be like a good friend mm-hmm. and like his facial expressions like when the wife berates the friends is so sincerely pain Uh uh-huh they're just so funny to watch i'm thinking like the in a morning scene when they need to tell the men to leave for the day because they're having guests over Mm -hmm. that's when the the foreman and the wife come Mm -hmm. holly hunter's like we're having decent company over tonight (laughs) and then nicholas cage is just like oh what what ed means to say (laughs) he has to like apologize he's so like well-meaning and doesn't want to hurt the feelings of anybody like in the room but those characters like overall i think are extremely funny like the whole bank rob robbing scene where they're like yeah. every 
Like they're everybody freeze, get on the ground. They're all really nervous. That old man broke my concentration. I love the old man's dialogue. He's like, I can't rightfully, you know, if I freeze, I can't rightfully get on the ground. And like he just has right. these really great. He says like, which is it, youngster, or something like that. Youngster. That's another thing. Like the old people of this world, they they seem to take these indiscretions of the younger generations so passively yeah like society looks as far as we can tell from this movie like society seems pretty broken at least like in this <laughs> local area uh-huh. like it seems like most of the men are like convicted convicts and just lead lives of crime uh-huh. we're given like very few examples of like people that seem to be doing well i mean nathan arizona He's doing pretty well. That's another thing. He's like a small time business owner, but he's like put up as like this really pinnacle person that everybody knows. Dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this like totally. Who knows their local? This is totally furniture like evidence like. more for uh, like this localized universe thing that we've been talking about because it's right, like right in the in the world of like rural small town and like what that looks like at the highest levels of like capitalism and like advertising yeah it's like the local car salesman just like as you go more local sort of how rich the hype people get yeah becomes lower and lower right yeah local car salesman is definitely like small time rich yeah yeah i love this guy he's like the most successful business guy for the field of unpainted furniture (laughs) outlets yeah I forget that that's right? what like, it is. Yeah, Un- unpainted furniture. Okay, I want to I want to rock through some scenes with you just to enjoy them. Kay. The wife crying after they get the baby. She's like, <laughs> I love him so much. And Nicolas Cage is just like, I, I know. I know. <laughs> it's like I've seen like viral videos of like little children reacting to puppies in the same way. Like so oh. overwhelmed by emotion that they're they're just crying Uh uh-huh kids do that oh yeah i've seen like videos of like a kid like a little girl gets like a puppy for christmas and she's just like i love him so much he's so cute just crying oh my god yeah look it up it's a real thing too much that scene really made it seem like it made it clear that the wife's like baby fever was at, at a really like borderline crazy level oh yeah dude it's unhealthy and that scene definitely makes that clear that's part of the joke though i i know honey i I know (laughs) yeah i think the whole joke is like how unfit they are for this whole job yeah off the toes of that nicholas cage is are you kidding me we got us a family here (laughs) (laughs) we got us a family here Welcome home, Feast son. Feast your eyes, boys. <laughs> and, and he, like, I love the scene when he runs into the room and, like, hides the pornography. Right. But then, like, takes it out and, like, looks through it. He, like, makes this, like, really weird noise, like, ah! This is a, I'm pretty sure this guy's wearing a bowling shirt. Uh, Like, the button-up? Yeah, I think that's, like, a bowling, like, style shirt. Which is, like, a thing that comes up in other Coen Brothers movies. The bowling oh yeah i think they did bowl in in um it's lebowski and big lebowski and little caesar yeah big lebowski is the bowling movie 
Yeah, Little Caesar, I think they did. Little Caesars. <laughs> you mean Hail like Hail Caesar. Caesar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Little Caesars. Do they bowl in Hail Caesar? No. Oh. I'm just giving you a hard time. Oh, okay. Also, this this baby is like the most baby-looking baby I've ever seen. <laughs> right? He looks different than like what I feel like Hollywood babies look like now. Yeah, he's just a, a regular-looking baby. Just fat. Tell me about the fight scene. Oh, just great. Great climactic conclusion to this movie, which has not had too much action throughout, except for like that chase scene in the middle that I really like, <clears throat> the chase sequence. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to commandeer this thing. Let's talk about that chase sequence. <laughs> so this whole thing yeah so this is a lot like the intro it's like a very musically driven like almost this one's not a montage per se because it does follow it is like a, a um, race to get somewhere it's it's got kind of like that ferris bueller's like final scene vibe you know oh it does i've totally forgot about Where that scene he's yeah, like running yeah, through does. houses and backyards and stuff yeah and the camera's following him all the way through I bet I bet this that is the just Ferris, like... when did Ferris Bueller's Day come out? Oh. I bet one has had to have influenced the other. Yeah. Cuz he's also like running in parallel with like a car, you know? And that's exactly what is going on in that movie. Right. 86. So, they may have stolen that. Wow. Cohen Brothers thieves. But this this scene is so amazing. Like so many memorable things happen in it, like the whole gag with the diapers. And, like, the final thing they do is, like, recover the diapers at the end. But the dogs are just, like... (laughs) I like the dogs. I like the introduction of the dogs into the scene. Uh I like that everybody has a gun. Uh Uh-huh. Music is great here, too. The yodeling. I know. I think that, like, the thing that really catches me off guard about the fight scene is the roundhouse kick. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, that's coming. It's all kind of just, like, uh, burly like superhero like big punches like kind of fight and then all of a sudden like smalls busts out this like chuck norris like roundhouse martial arts kick and you're like oh he's just like a boxer did you look him up at all he's a boxer yeah he's not really an actor really that makes sense he's been in like three movies from this time period always as like the villain huh i think just because he looks really crazy yeah well that's cool we, we've been talking for a while. We kind of need to wrap up here. Yes. Final thoughts and ratings. Final thoughts. This movie is wonderful. I enjoyed like every second of it as we were watching it last week. I think it's a lot funnier than I even realized. I, I started to stay, say this at the very beginning. I forget like how funny like the Coen Brothers movies are in general. But this one in particular, it's like a tried and true like comedy from the minds of the Coen brothers. And because of that, it's... Yeah, I think we've talked about how, like, comedy doesn't age well. At least, like, you know, stand-up comedy doesn't age well. And, like... Yeah, we've kind talked of about like, that before. You know, the Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey types, like, that style of comedy doesn't age well. So it can it's, like, a difficult craft to make evergreen. And I think that this is one of the few movies that can do that really effectively, where it's... It was written as this very funny movie and it has like so much staying power because of how like mm-hmm. stylized and specifically funny it is i will bump in even though this is your 
recap to say that this movie ages incredibly well. Agreed. So yeah, it's super funny. I think that this movie as like a cartoon is like the most like apt uh, metaphor that I can use to describe like the characters and the settings and their motivations. And I think that the Coen brothers are aware that this is a, a cartoon. So yeah, overall, just really, really enjoyed it. It's so easy to watch, like all Coen Brothers movies. I love that it follows the formula of really good, like, watchability, but also has, like, kind of highbrow filmmaking stuff in there. So that's what makes all of their movies great. So for all of that, I'm going to give Raising Arizona a 10 out of 10. 10. 10 out of 10. Ooh, babies. I haven't thought about this. Babies is a low-hanging fruit this week. No, it's not babies. It's... Oh, here we go. I'm going to give this 10 out of 10 pantyhose masks. I think people look weird in pantyhose masks in a way that's really unsettling to my soul. That's that's why they're so effective at masks, as masks, because they distort your face in a really unrecognizable way. So, So my turn... I love this movie. Like, I cannot say enough. This movie, like, knocks it out of the park for me. It's in such a way, like, it's so enjoyable for me to watch that it makes me doubt my other, like, movie-watching habits. Like, I'm usually into watching really serious movies, but the fact that I could get so much out of this movie that's so obviously um, over-the-top and silly makes me think that, like, this is what film should be. Mm-hmm. These really, like, overt artistic pieces that are larger than life it's pretty universal in its appeal where it's got like deeper stuff if you care about that but it's also just like surface level like ridiculous and funny it's kind of like the like the way that cartoons work you know where it's like or family cartoon movies where it's like it's a movie that is designed and marketed towards children but the the way that those movies are made is they often have like adult jokes built into them or adult themes built into them so that like when a parent takes their child to the theater to watch it they can get something out of it too you know this is like a very like a very yeah. real strategy that they use in like kids movies and cartoons so this movie yeah i mean i i feel like you're kind of uh stepping on my toes here but oh everything <laughs> everything that trevor just said <laughs> sorry you have anything to add to that <laughs> <laughs> i do no i don't no I i'm do. sorry I that i was hijacking your thoughts i just got excited about that hijacker yeah for all these movies i'm gonna give this movie a 10 out of 10 too like i, I can't not mm-hmm. what was the last thing i gave a 10 out of 10 to something that you're really biased towards it was one of the recent ones but in any case this movie would be in good company 10 out of 10 uh, Polak jokes too many. <laughs> 10 Polak jokes too many. Good shit. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by W. Look them up at underscore W on Instagram. That's underscore the word double and two U's. 
editing this week done by beep grace fawcett probably wherever you're listening give us a good rating connect with us at at pod on twitter and instagram thanks again and we'll see, see you, you next, next week, week. Special thanks to Savannah Smith for coming up with that really good theory that uh, Smalls and High are from the same orphaned past. Special thanks to Grace Fawcett for editing. Special thanks to Justin Wheatley for choosing to not record with us. Because honestly, it would have been worse if had he been here. Right, Raul? (laughs) (laughs) And special thanks to Brady Goodman. Or all the help. Mm-hmm. Special thanks to Chris Maddy, just because he's a big fan. <laughs>